What's up, everybody? Welcome to Giraffe Chaff. This is episode number 175. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Woe is me. Oh, woe is me. Forsooth, I have not never... Um... Yeah, I'm going to cut that one off. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering uh, how far that was going to go. Yeah, well, um, not, not that far. Uh, I, I think I need to work on my... I guess high fantasy English. Uh, I'm not really sure what I was going for there. Uh, but anyway, whoa, whoa is me. Uh, we've got some woe to talk about this week. It's our, uh, it's our flavor town. We're heading to a uh, flavor town, downtown. Whoa is me. Yeah. <laughs> but before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping Do check out the discord. If you haven't already, it's the best place to beach chat, all things, MTG chat with the aficionados and discuss picks. We've made a bunch of changes there lately, and we're continuing to roll out changes as we get through this sort of new sort of rebrand relaunch thing we're doing, which um, I think we're ready to announce the date on that. Right, Ben? I think we are. All right. So the rebrand relaunch and all of these different things, Patreon, the show, we're getting new art and everything coming next week. So that's going to be awesome. We're really excited about that. And, um, you know, to get all the announcements, of course, if you follow us on social media, you'll get those. But to get them firsthand, the Discord is the best place for that. And again, we've made a bunch of changes there. So we're really cleaning things up. We've got something really fun we're introducing with the next set. I'll leave that to next episode. Get your, your gears grinding on what that might be. Something really, really fun in the Discord to get everybody more engaged. And I think you're all going to love it. So do jump into the Discord if you're not already in there. And then the best place to support the show directly, if you'd like to do that, is on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Again, huge thanks to everybody who's continued to support us there each and every week. We've had that kind of on a pause for the last couple of months here as we're rebranding that and actually reworking the whole thing. We've gotten great feedback from our patrons on the new changes that we're making, and we're really, really excited for that. Again, you'll get more details on that in the Discord and on social media on Monday uh as this episode releases but um november 1st will be the day that that all launches and uh we're really excited about it um hope that you are excited and interested about it as well because um yeah we put a lot of effort into it so more on that next week but again you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chef pod yeah i've honestly lost track of all the cool new things we're doing every single thing we're doing is cool and new. So I'm hoping that everybody enjoys this as much as we do. I, I think you will listener. I think you're going to like what we got in store, but for now, how about we jump into a cracker draft type thing? Let's do it. All right. I've got a, a bit of a funny one here. I've got a pack two, pick one. So we're, we've opened our second pack before I talk about those cards. Let's talk about what we got in our pack one. We've got a pretty good red, white beatdown start. Uh, my first two picks were both towards the tower, and that's that's a pretty good place to be, right? Yeah, yeah, I love to see that. Uh, then I've got some fine stuff. I've got an Ash Party Crasher that was really solidified me into Red White. Uh, a Rat Catcher Trainee, uh, which I really like. Uh, and a Hopeful Vigil is kind of the best things we've got going on along the uh, early curve. Then some okay stuff. I've got a Stockpiling Celebrant, another Stockpiling Celebrant. Both obviously really good with Hopeful Vigil, really good with Rat Catcher Trainee. You can pick it up, recast the pest problem, get more rats. Uh, and then some other stuff you'd expect in, in a deck like this. I've got a Ginger Brute, uh, a Merry Bards, a Protective Parents, some Roll Token stuff, a Besotted Knight, and a Return Triumphant. So little ways to augment our, uh, our solid Red White Beatdown creatures. Ash and, and the uh, two Torch the Towers are kind of the highlight of this deck, though. Now, uh... With all that said, I opened a really good card, pack two, pick one here, but um, it's not a red card and it's not a white card. It's a Lord Skitter, Sewer King. The uh, three mana, three, three, the legendary Rat Noble. Whenever another rat enters the battlefield, you get to exile target card from opponent's graveyard. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you make a one, one rat that can't block. Really strong card. One of the best in the set. Uh, and here's the thing. It's kind of splashable. But do you do that here? Well, let's talk about what else there is in this pack, right? Uh, there's an eerie interference, also an uncommon. That's the fog that I've never seen cast a single time. <laughs> <laughs> there's a Garrick's Uprising, but we're obviously pretty far from that. 
Neva Stalk by Nightmares is a good card, but if we're going to warp our deck to splash black, it's not going to be for Neva. It's going to be for Lord Skitter, so kind of can ignore that. Taken by Nightmares, uh, this would have been a sick pack to open in like a black-white sealed deck, right? Taken by Nightmares is the four-mana exile. There's an Armory Mice. This one, if we weren't going to take Lord Skitter, I mean, this is on the radar. The two-mana 3-1. There's some blue and green cards. We look pretty far away from that. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't really imagine a blue or green card we would take over Lord Skitter at any rarity. Um, maybe you can't even play Goose Motor in this deck. Uh, if you're a madman, I guess you could try. Uh, and then we've got a cut in. This is the one that really piqued my interest here. Cut in the four mana deal four, make a, a young hero roll on up to one target creature you control. Four mana deal four. It's going to be good in this deck, right? It puts a young hero roll, which is exactly what this deck wants. Uh, you put that on Rat Catcher Trainee, it attacks as an even bigger first striker. You put it on the rats, you can put it on the stockpiling celebrant. All these things with high power, low toughness work really well with young hero rolls. So, uh, also, there's another return triumphant in the pack, but I don't think that's even in, in the discussion. Really, the only things in the discussion are cut in, Lord Skitter, and maybe Armory Mice. What are yeah. you thinking? Yeah, I had my eye on Army Mice too. I, I think that card is actually quite good in these decks on average and um, definitely would be in the running for me here. I, I I don't know, man. I think the Lord Skitter, it could fit the deck. I'm just worried about it actually pulling away from the vector of the deck a little bit because if you top deck this, it's not like great. And this deck really just wants to be low to the ground, very running on firing on all cylinders, really pushing in damage quickly. And sure, if you can generate a bunch of rats off the, the Lord Skitter, you're going to be able to do that. Um, but I, like the exile clause isn't going to be too terribly impactful most of the time. Like you kind of just don't care about that in, in these types of decks. Uh, so you, you need to be able to get those those rats in and late in the game. That doesn't really help too well. I think the cut-in does more for the deck than Lord Skitter does. But I could see splashing it. Like, I I don't know. I, I think cut-in's the best pick for the deck at this point. Yeah, solid reasoning. I took the Lord Skitter, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, here is my reasoning. I, I, I think it is a little more on Vector than it looks. The problem is that this is a red-white beatdown deck, which isn't really known for its ability to splash. I mean, if Magic just had lands that tap for mana of any color, you would just slam the Lord Skitter here, right? Because it does, on turn three, start building out a massive board. Just making a 1-1 every turn is something that a lot of limited decks just can't deal with. Yeah, And um, then you're just exiling things as upside. I mean, look, there's like Return Triumphant in this pack. There's Back for Seconds. That's another card you have to be afraid of. Neva, even. Stop by Nightmares. All these things are basically regrowths. So the exile is just a little bit of upside too, but the real power in Lord Skitter is that it's a three mana three three that makes a one one every turn, and you would play that in any red white beatdown deck if it was like a white rare that did that, right? It would be one of the best cards in your deck. So my reasoning here was, if I am somehow able to make this mana work, I would rather have the twenty percent chance that I can fit Lord Skitter into this deck than the hundred percent chance that I can put a cut in in this deck. I thought it was actually sufficient math. I think Lord Skitter was that good. Yeah, there's also like, I think it's reasonable to speculate that you could get past a cut in. It might not, you might not wield this one, but you could get past one later on in mm -hmm. this pack or even pack three. So I could see picking up cards that fill that slot and you already have removal in the double torch, the tower, as well as a glass casket. Not that that's really where you want your removal to be in these decks, but I can I can definitely see the defense in taking the Lord Skitter, and it might just be the right pick. I think it's pretty close. Uh, I'm just really skeptical about warping your mana base in these red-white decks, especially when you have a card like Ash. Like, getting mm. Ash on two is really important in, yeah. in these decks, and if you have Mountain Swamp in your hand and you're, you're still looking for your planes, like, you know, Ash will just it's kind of rot there. Um but then, yeah, I guess you're, you're playing Lord Skitter on curve, and that's fine, too. Uh, so I think I would have gone cut in, but I, I really I can't fault you for taking the Lord Skitter here. <laughs> Let me show you the, uh, the final deck list. This deck ended up going 2-1. Uh, it went 5-2 in games, which not 
not that bad. So I, I had four straight wins and then a one, two. Uh, I actually won the first game of that, <laughs> that, that last match. So I, I choked a little bit with this deck. Uh, the deck ended up really coming together. Uh, I ended up with three stockpiling celebrants and two princess takes flight, which nice. you can almost play like a red, white, big Boros mid-range plan with that. Uh, I ended up picking a Kellen the Fey-Blooded. Only time I've gotten to draft this card. And it's 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 good. <laughs> it's it's really good. I, I only had one target for the uh the adventure that goes and gets an artifact uh or uh, an equipment or aura. I had a cooped up, which was all I could get. I don't even know if I would have played any of the equipments in the set. I actually end up with a Hilda's Crown of Winter too, another really solid bomb rare. And then Archon of the Wild Rose, which paired well with my Merry Bards and uh Return Triumphant and other things that Embrith Veteran, that type of stuff. This ended up being a really sick deck. Now, you may be wondering, how did Lord Skitter actually perform? I picked up an Evolving Wilds. And what I ended up doing was playing seven planes, seven mountains, a swamp, and an E-Wilds. So eight sources of my primaries, and then two sources of black. And I guess my reasoning was that I had enough to do with my mana, that even if Lord Skitter got stranded on my hand for a little bit, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I mean, when you're stockpiling celebranting, when you have three of these things, I mean, three mana, three, two, ETV, scry two, and then get some additional value. You can put away your Lord Skitter if you don't have a swamp, and you can find your swamp if you have a Lord Skitter. Like, with that much scrying effect, plus your bouncing princess takes flight. So you're dominating pretty much any board your opponent could create. Uh, or maybe even just killing them with Archon of the Wild Rose. This deck ended up being a lot of fun to play, and I will say my losses came to a hyper-focused red-black uh, red rats deck that flooded the board a lot faster than I could get on. And, and that kind of makes sense. Like, my deck did ultimately want to turn cards sideways, and uh, they were just able to do it a little faster than I was. Cool. Seems like a really sweet deck. Yeah, it was fun. And in the end, I'm happy I took the Lord Skitter. It, it did perform. I was able to cast it. All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style of segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, what's up? Oh, man. I'm going to start with my Tibble. I've got a bit of a sore throat this week. Hopefully my, my usual podcast voice isn't too disrupted. Honestly, without my voice, what even am I? You know, just another guy with a podcast. True. I mean, well, it's a podcast, but your career as well. I mean, no voice. It's going to be kind of tough to teach. Yeah, I'm, I've been struggling through. I'm going to be making some of my uh, my patented honey cough drop tea where you put honey in a, in a nice like uh, I prefer caffeinated, but some sort of fruity tea. Uh, herbal tea is fine. And then you just put in honey and you melt a cough drop inside. And that amazing throat coating sensation that cough drops provide uh it spreads out the entire tea and that's really nice uh number one trick for curing sore throats so that that's gonna help but uh i probably should be going to bed earlier that's probably where this came from anyway <laughs> let's not dwell on that let's save, save that for the next uh, mental magic or something my teferi uh a lot of cool spoilers this week i saw some reprints that i'm actually a big fan of growing rights of itlamok is getting a reprint. Gishath Sun's Avatar, which I had no idea. I've had a Gishath Commander deck since the moment I opened her in a prize pack at the Rutgers Magic Club. <laughs> I remember the prize pack because it had a Hostage Taker and Gishath. And at the time, those were both, you know, very sought after cards. What I didn't realize was that Gishath hasn't seen any reprints. So currently, Gishath goes for over $50. And mine's a foil, too. I, I was surprised to see that. Wow. Now Gishath uh, is getting some cool new treatments and we're getting a whole new set of dinosaurs. Honestly, I might just buy the dinosaur precon because I love my dinosaur commander deck and I might just scrap the two and take the both and take the best of both and make them into a new one. Another cool thing that happened this week, um, I was gifted a telescope. Someone who didn't want their telescope anymore gave it to me. It's, that's it's pretty cool, cool. <laughs> yeah it's, it's a very nice telescope I'm, I'm super excited the astronomy club is also super excited uh we have a couple telescopes we already use at school but this is a nice for anyone who happens to be into optical astronomy please top in the discord and uh, give me some tips and tricks because i never owned a, a full reflector before uh i've had little dinky refractors but this is this is a, a heavy duty 
probably like 50 pound reflecting telescope. It's a nice, like a nine and a quarter inch. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's awesome. Very excited. Uh, it is far too heavy for me to even pick up and move. It is assembled in my living room and it's going to stay there until I can figure out <laughs> where, 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 where to point it first. Nice. What is up with you? Uh, my Teferi is spoiler season right now. I think it's really fun. Uh, I haven't been too into the like other random ancillary spoilers we've been getting lately. I've been, I think I generally have been shifting to basically only paying attention to standard set releases anymore, unless there's like a secret layer or something that I'm really into. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fallout and the uh, doctor who stuff never really got into either of the two. So I, it was cool to see some of the discourse on it, but I wasn't super into or paying attention to the spoilers really. Um, but to your point, we've been getting some really cool lost caverns of Ixalan spoilers and um, I'm pretty excited for the set. So yeah, uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, happy to be getting close to our relaunch and everything. That's, that's really cool too. And uh, my Tybalt this week is the weather. I've talked about the weather on the show, like the last <laughs> three or four weeks. And I was, I was talking about how like, I'm excited that we're finally in the fall in the Northeast and it's, you know, in the fifties. Well, by the time this episode releases, it's in the mid seventies, high seventies again. So nice. Whatever, man. I'm just like, no, not nice. It's fall. I want it to be cold. You know, walking outside at 6:45 AM in the thirties, I'm not as into it. <laughs> give me the, give me the seventies again. <laughs> you know, we should be thankful. We're here in New Jersey where we actually get seasons and varied climate. Um, that's, only that's like getting less and less true though <laughs> yeah yeah look global warming will take its effect on us all in time maybe uh maybe both of us are going to be shorefront soon <laughs> yeah maybe oh no um all right well let's jump into our listener question of the week this week our question comes from Spurlo, who asks what arguments would you present if you were on the opposing team in a debate with the topic of quote playing magic the gathering is an unconstructive waste of time end quote so I think it's actually fun to look at arguments from both sides here, uh, both pro magic is a waste of time and opposed to magic is a waste of time. So first of all, I mean, we love magic. We can we can shout this out first. Uh, it is the ultimate game. I do truly believe that magic is the best game. Full stop ever made. I think it eclipses everything. And there's other great games out there. You know, there's a, there's a short list that I have of, of all-time bests. Minecraft is actually up there, too. And I think for similar reasons. Uh, it's infinitely customizable, right? I mean, at, at its base, you're dealing with a resource management game, right? You manage your mana. You manage your cards. You manage the creatures on board. You manage your life total. And there's a whole bunch of different axes there. You manage your deck size. You manage your opponent's life total. Uh even just the combat phase is better than what most other trading card games have to offer. Uh, and I think these all combine these kind of broad aspects combine to make it a great game to interact with just as people, people like to have many options and magic provides them with so many options. And that's more true now than ever. I mean, think of all the formats, right? A game of pauper and a game of sealed look very different, but not all that different. There might be pieces that, that are in the both, right? And yet they play out totally differently. Uh, compare a game of like four-player commander to a game of vintage cube, right? Those, again, could look entirely different, but there might be similar game pieces in play. And it's cool that Magic as a game has these very iconic game pieces. I mean, I say lightning bolt. People know what that is. Uh, <laughs> that that are cross format applicable. So while having super high complexity, it does also lower the barrier of entry because once you familiarize yourself with the game, you develop these shortcuts and heuristics that help you to better understand other formats, other aspects of the game. Yeah, good argument. Um, I think also there's a lot to be said about just the level of complexity in terms of gameplay. It's not something like you can play it casually and not really think about what you're doing and have fun with it. And that's great. And that's entertainment is something of value. I think that there's a, there's something to be said about being able to, to a degree, shut your brain off and just enjoy entertainment kind of as a release. That's constructive. I think there is room for that, but there's also the other aspect where it's a really complex game. So if you need something to 
work your brain on and like develop certain analytical skills, certain problem solving skills. Magic's a good entry point for that. There are a lot of different ways to navigate board states and determine what actions to make. And it's, and it's more or less a, a massive state machine. So you can kind of work through like, if I do this, then that kind of complex problems in, in that regard. Um, deck building is its own beast yeah. that, that involves complex thought. So um, I think that's super beneficial as well, just from developing even like, you know, I started, I picked up magic when I was maybe 11 and like thinking about where my brain was in terms of development at that point and using the game to kind of help understand certain concepts. Magic single-handedly like skyrocketed my vocabulary because <laughs> yeah, a lot of the names on cards are just like kind of out there. And unless you look them up, you may not even understand what it does, but they usually do a really good job of using words as in, in like the names of cards to help describe the card itself and what the card does. So yeah, you're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it was a good vocabulary teacher for me as well growing up. Plus just think of the other ways people tend to engage with this. I mean, you can have cosplay contests, lore building, designing your own sets, like in a cube. Uh, this kind of checks a lot of boxes that other games do as well. I think magic can check the same boxes that D and D do. I mean, I, I've seen some people play commander in a way that mimics D and D where your spells are your library and you have this overarching story to it. Uh, plus, I do feel like I should wrap all this up by saying not everything you do has to be a constructive use of time. If you just want to do something because you enjoy it, you know, late stage capitalism, it's programmed us to think that that's a waste of time, right? That you should always be doing something that is netting productivity, but doing something because it makes you happy is worthwhile by itself. So regardless of whether or not it makes you a better person or smarter, uh, if you like playing magic, then you should play magic right I mean, as long as you you find something that you enjoy and you love and it doesn't hurt other people you know go nuts yeah i mean i would argue that is productive uh but i guess it depends on your definition of productivity yeah um, true yeah now let's say you wanted to argue that magic was a waste of time or that it was not worth getting into i think maybe um one of the easiest arguments would be money because we know magic is getting more expensive. We know packs are about to get more expensive. It means drafting is about to get more expensive. Not for digital, at least. But uh, honestly, they, they got us there, <laughs> right? And I, I'm a sucker for a nice full art and foil. And those do tend to cost a little more. I mean, but then again, I, I think I can wrap this back into the other side of things where... For the same reason that a lot of magic players who are new to the game will identify with a color or a theme. So many people will say like, oh, yeah, I hate blue or I love playing green. Um, it, it helps you get to know yourself and your identity and what you like. And because of that, you'll identify more with certain cards and uh, vectors and in-game groups and civilizations and, and even planes more than others. Uh, it's sort of like a giant BuzzFeed tag yourself quiz. <laughs> everybody, everybody loves those, right? Uh, but then again, you know, I, I'm willing to pay a little more to get a really cool foil full art secret layer Brunelite of Alabaster, which I did. And it's now my, you know, default commander for that. And I took out my original Innistrad commander because, you know, I love that card and I love owning that game piece. I also like this really sick looking one. And, you know, I identify with it. All right, let's jump into our main topic then. This week, we're back to Flavortown for Wilds of Eldrain. That's right, Flavortown, your destination for all things fun in form and function. Wilds of Eldrain has some pretty fantastic cards, and we kind of want to take uh, a little bit of time to appreciate the art, the flavor text, the story, maybe to a less extent this time around, um, <laughs> and design of some of our favorite cards in the set. So as we usually do, we're going to walk through some of the lore that came out through the set, and then um, a few cards that really missed the mark, and then some of our favorite picks from the set as a whole. So Ben, why don't you just start us off with the lore? Like what happened with Wilds of Eldraine? Where'd we leave off with the original Eldraine story? And, you know, obviously a lot has happened in the multiverse since then, so. Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny. I think Eldraine was set up as a really interesting plane. It has these high fantasy tropes and these kind of storytell cards. And for a set so focused on fairy tales and storytelling, it's kind of funny 
how little they affected the main arc and, and and how i don't know when i was reading this story which i read the whole thing the the word that came to mind was efficient these stories were efficient methods of delivering a plot and there's some good stuff in there but i also felt like that was the ultimate goal and it does kind of reflect this modern cultural shift where uh, I, I've noticed a certain subset of, of people that watch a film will consider the content of the film rather than the film as an artistic experience itself. You know, uh, not so much what the film is trying to evoke in them, but what the film is trying to tell them is their main focus. And this story, I think, kind of reflected that. This story told me a lot of things, but it didn't make me feel anything <laughs> uh so let's let's jump into this story and see what it conveyed because it conveyed a lot to its credit uh we start off with will and, and rowan uh will gets mad at rowan because they're trying to you know rebuild after the frexian invasion which ended on eldraine after a mysterious slumber swept across the land they didn't really know where it came from you might remember there was a rankle and torbrand story that, that had something to do with that Anyway, uh, Will has been kind of taking charge since their parents were killed, uh, and he's been doing an okay job, but there's some, you know, some upsets. Uh, this knight, Imidane, is kind of challenging Will, and Rowan is just like, oh, man, bro, can you just kill her already? <laughs> can, can, we, can we get things moving here? Like, we should be gaining power, taking control of the realm, and you're trying to play politics and make nice with people? Just kill her already. And Rowan's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Rowan gets mad. She zaps the ground with a huge lightning bolt. Uh, remember that that thing, that spell from uh, Strixhaven, uh, Crackle with Power? Mm -hmm. The one where she's like awesomely floating up into the sky and everyone around her is like, oh, <laughs> yikes. She did that again, basically. And uh, <laughs> poor Ken. Uh, you know, like Rowan, Rowan Kenrith. I refer, I've been referring to him as Ken in my head because he looks like Ken. <laughs> No, but that's that's uh, Will. It's just Will. Yeah, he, he's just Will. Uh, in this case, he's just Ken. And he's like, oh, sis, you good there? Anyway, jump over to uh, Kellen. Now, this kid, Kellen, he's like 15 or 16, um, which I deal with 15 and 16 year olds literally all day. And so, you know, the first thing I want to see is, is more of one. Anyway, he's got some daddy issues and that he has no idea who his father is. And uh, then this Fay Italian the high king of the Fae, they, they ask him to leave his home, go on a quest to kill some witches, and they'll tell him the name of his father. And Kellen's like, all right, that's a pretty fair deal. I'm 15. <laughs> How do I, Is he? What? I, yeah, I, yeah. Read through the, I read through the story, missed the, his age entirely, and I thought he was like eight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe, I don't remember where I got this number from, to be honest. I believe he's supposed to be like 15 or 16 or something. But maybe he's supposed to be younger. I could have it wrong. Uh, anyway, Rowan, back to her, um, she's, she's upset that her parents are dead, you know, all that good stuff. Um, she starts grumbling and groaning and decides that she needs to go off and deal with things on her own. Um, Will, Will isn't going to help her anymore. Um, anywho. Well, in fact, she tries to planeswalk away, realizes, oh yeah, we can't do that anymore. And then just literally walks away. <laughs> <laughs> just real, real sick exit. Uh, so anyway, uh, Kellen, he begins his adventure. He meets Ruby, uh, who is styled after Little Red Riding Hood, but the cool version. She's, uh, I mean, in, in her card, she has a, like a little bow. I don't believe she had one in the story itself. Uh, anyway, the two of them proceed to, th the best way I can describe this is, you know, Mr. Bean? Sure how he sort of like bumbles his way through events and circumstances uh, through no part of his own doing. They just kind of yeah. happen around him and he happens to them. Uh, Todd from Bojack Horseman also comes to mind how he, he falls up in basically every of, of his arcs. He goes from, you know, being like an entry level guy to like being the CEO by accident in a day. They basically do that. They, they Mr. Bean slash Todd their way into uh, killing an extremely powerful witch basically without a plan and by accident uh after surviving a horde of witch stalking uh wolves and and like a a green knight looking like knight thing i don't know this part lost me a bit 
Uh, but anyway, they push Agatha straight into her soul cauldron, and she gains the abilities of all other creatures that have been exiled with that soul cauldron. I'm not really sure what she was feeding into that. So, uh, anywho, Rowan she meets one of these other witches, Ariette, who's actually her long lost aunt. Sure, why not? Uh, I I forget they were ad- adopted. I think, or they were the step. Something. I don't know. I, I forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was some interesting family drama there. This does explain why why Rowan is OP, at least, that she has some witch powers, too, and that's why she's such a good mage. Uh, it turns out the witches were the ones that actually cast a sleeping spell that helped stop the Phyrexians from invading fully. Um, oh, yeah, the, the Phyrexian invasion, that that did happen. You know, they kind of brushed past it. They mentioned it in a couple <laughs> places, saying that they're still... They're still um, Worried about maybe some of the dead bodies of the Frexians and oil here and there. Um, but they decided to put everyone to sleep. And uh, Ariette and Rowan are like, hey, what if we keep doing that? Ariette basically convinces Rowan that, hey, you know what? Your waking reality sucks, doesn't it? And uh, wouldn't it be better if you could just be in a dream? And Rowan is like, you know what? I like that logic. Let's just put everyone to sleep. I guess she was convinced by the fact that some of her knights were asleep and Ariet seems to tell her that, yeah, they're having a great time. I guess I guess Rowan didn't notice that if you look in the reflection of Ariet's kind of like crown visor hood thing, you can see she's actually a, a, a wrinkled old person, which means she's evil because age Naturally, corresponds yeah. to, <laughs> to evil. Uh, yeah. And that she's been... I guess sucking people's life forces to be a baddie. <laughs> just, <laughs> As they uh, do. Also, Ashiok's just kind of hanging out. Right yeah, there. They're, yeah. they're just there doing their thing. <laughs> yeah, Ashiok. I mean, last time we saw them, they were they were doing stuff with <sighs> the Phyrexians, but I guess because Elishnorn got KO'd, uh, they kind of lost that. They had a thing that was I don't know. Ashiok doesn't really know what's going on either. But now everybody's anyway. asleep. So Ashiok's like, yes, dreams, nightmares. Love it. I'm here for it. And this is something that was lacking in the cards, right? Like, And in the story, to be honest. I mean, this should be a prime feeding ground for Ashiok to just wreak their brand of havoc. And yet we don't really see that mechanically, thematically play out. Anyway, uh, beans. Beans happen after that. Uh, <laughs> they, they go up the beanstalk. Troyan, that guy from Radhika who's there, through an omen path, which is interesting story-wise. This is actually maybe the biggest takeaway from the story. And that's that you're just going to see random people from random planes on other random planes, which means you could have a merfolk from Dominaria go hang out with a merfolk from Ixalan. And they could share fish stories or something, um, <laughs> whatever they would do. Uh, anywho, Yorvo, the giant, he shows up. Baluna, she shows up. Um, she, she's sort a three-color mythic in this set. And she has like two lines. I, she like collects stuff. I don't know. Who cares? Uh, Kellen, he realizes that he has these two wicker handles that uh, Talon, Talion gave him, I, I think. I yeah. found them on the ground. I don't know. They're basically lightsabers. And uh, he realizes that they're basically lightsabers as they start getting closer to Elsa. Uh, so, uh, sorry, Hilda. They get closer to Hilda. <laughs> oh and uh, Hilda is depressed. And she lives in an ice castle. And she needs to open herself up to the people around her. So anyway, Hilda, um, she's sad. And she's well, iced herself off. She has all these ice guards. She does the Elsa thing. Uh, Kellen dies because he sucks. Um, it's a family trait. We'll learn that later. <laughs> but uh, Ruby keeps going uh, and uh, hugs Elsa and Hilda, gives Hilda a kiss and a hug, and that cures her depression, I think. Um, anyway, they don't kill her like they did Agatha. Uh, basically, Hilda is like, oh, you killed Agatha? Yeah, someone was going to do it, right? She sucked. Uh, everyone hated her. Uh, she, probably because she kept eating people. Made her very... Uh, not fun to be friends with she didn't seem to mind that the witch sister was dead and they were uh, like well we're not going to kill you so hilda says all right take my crown of winter it can tap things down cheaper on your term and uh, that is going to be proof for talion that they have defeated her and she goes oh you know what maybe i was icing myself off from the world maybe you two your budding friendship and or romance uh has softened my heart and uh yeah, she tells them Aria is the only one left, and Aria is actually the one keeping the uh, the sleeping spell alive. So if they want to stop the sleeping curse, then 
they should stop her. And the curse is bad. It's been spreading, putting more people to sleep. Anyone who touches these purple wisps falls asleep. Now, they go to uh, Castle Ardenvale, I think, where the area has set up shop. And Rowan is already there. And Rowan nearly orders 66 as the kids the moment they get there. <laughs> they, they, they come up and they're like, Rowan, Ma- Master Rowan, what are we going to do? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and she goes, uh... <laughs> well anyway uh she ends up throwing them in jail rather than doing the anakin thing and that's not super effective because um ruby has an ice sword i think some sort of sword or i'm not sure that they break out as they do and at this point uh kenny has shown back up again uh will has decided to come and, and try to free the realm uh from the sleeping spell which puts him directly in the fight path of rowan so the two twins they go head to head and uh it it gets pretty intense this was probably my favorite aspect of the story as a whole uh i mean rowan has some justified anger she thinks that will hasn't been running the realm very effectively and hasn't really been there for as they tried to grieve their parents death at the hands of the phyrexians a fair thing to want time for and in a, in a pretty cool story beat, Rowan and Will, uh, Will, Will apologizes. And Rowan isn't really sure what to do except get more mad because she doesn't know how to process her, her grief and emotions. Um, unfortunately, this does lead Rowan to killing a bunch of soldiers and or at least beating them up a lot. Uh, uh, can she come back from this? I don't know. I do like that she's becoming a more complex character rather than just this mono red spark mage that we've kind of got to know uh they duke it out the animated army uh you know controlled by the sleeping spell fighting against all of will's knights ashiok uh shows up and does something and then gets hit with an ice bolt from will and then leaves uh, they can still planeswalk which is interesting and the twins learned that too when they planeswalked away um so then without you know, without Ashok doing whatever Ashok was doing, uh, Kihelen manages to uh, sneak up, capture Ariette, and then Rowan kind of just fireballs the ground and like blasts off vertically. It's kind of funny. And it, I, I don't know. It seemed like a really intense story moment where these twins are like duking it out. And then she goes, oops, um, time to go. It's, it's like in an old shooter where you throw a grenade at the ground, or like a debt pack at the ground and then blow it up and then you just launch vertically. It, it just seems rockets goofy. blasting off again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She just launches into the air and goes somewhere. I get like, wouldn't she land fifty feet away? There's an <laughs> army. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure what that implies. Maybe she blasts all the way up to the giant sky Wait, realm. I still can't get past. At some point earlier, you said Kellen dies, <laughs> and then now he's still doing stuff. What happened? No, no, okay, that was, he didn't really die. He, he was just frozen. Um, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, not uh, hopefully Disney doesn't sweep podcasts for instances of of the word Elsa and Frozen in in conjuncture because we're getting copyright struck. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, after all this, Kellen has kind of done what Talion asked him to do. So Kellen decides that rather than hear from Talion about his father, he wants to ask his mom, which is a cool little sign of maturity. And uh, if we're going to be dealing with Kellen for a while, which it seems like we will. it is cool that they're going to slowly grow him over time, maybe with one or two, you know, big realizations per set or whatever. And uh, turns out he's uh, an annoying little twerp because his dad was an annoying little twerp. <laughs> and uh, Oko is his father. And uh, Oko, well, um, hooked up with Kellen's mom and then said, all right, see ya. <laughs> As Oko would do. Like, at least they're keep keeping his character intact, right? Like, yeah, and it's a little more complicated. Yeah. He had reasons. Apparently, his his mom was a witch, and uh, Oko was mad about the way that witches were treated on El, on Eldraine, uh, that they weren't given enough respect as magic users, and he eventually realized that he, as a pretty powerful magic user, wouldn't last very long on this plane. So, overall, again, this story conveyed a lot of things. I just summarized as best I could in as entertaining and as, as a fashion possible. As possible. <laughs> and yet... I, I still feel like I missed a lot of story aspects to this. Um, and there were a lot of story cards that didn't seem to line up with the main story itself. I, I don't know. This one just didn't hit for me. I, I really enjoy magic stories that 
grab me in an interesting way, make me care about something, give me stakes of some kind. Uh, Kellen has the thickest plot armor I've seen in years. I don't think you could kill him if you wanted to. Uh, it, it, he's clearly been set up as the guy that's going to be in every set for the next four sets or whatever. So he, he was never in any danger. Um, I guess Agatha dies. Nobody else really dies or is significantly changed or I guess um, Kellen grows at the end. Rowan grows in the wrong direction. That's interesting. Um, and I think that's what makes the highlight for me, uh, Rowan and Will's interactions. But besides that, you know, this one, it didn't really do that much for me. Yeah, I was a little frustrated with it too. And I... I think I think we oh, we were a little dramatic in terms of how Mimi we presented this to you as a listener, but neither of us were really too into this story. And sometimes they miss. Some, we have lauded the ones that were we felt were very good before. So do check out our other flavor towns if you want to see what that sounds like. But um, for me, the biggest disappointment was they're trying to launch this new story arc, this like four three year story arc that's made up of three mini arcs and this first one's about omen pads and this story just kind of glossed over this, the omen, like they weren't even a thing until like the end. And I guess kind of Troyan is mentioned that he's not from Eldraine, but like, yeah, they don't really play a part in this story at all. And I kind of expected to get more of that. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. We, we don't really know a lot about them yet. This is a very Eldrain specific story. Maybe this pays off later, right? Maybe this is arc, the, the first arc, right? And this is the, the first act, and we don't know what the other acts are yet. Still, it's best when a story can give us some larger act structure, even within itself. But, you know, if this is the setup, I, I could learn to forgive this. Uh, we should mention that Kellen does end by going through an omen path. So he's right. clearly off to Ixalan, where we already see him uh, doing his lightsaber thing. His swords are kind of cool. I mean, you, you got to give it to him. They're, yeah, they're I could give it to him. I, I still don't understand a lot about his magic or his powers yet, though. So far, he's just he, he's, he's just a protagonist powers. You know, he, he's yeah, everywhere he needs to be. I was also surprised. I didn't. And I don't remember where Oko came from originally, like what what his original plane is. But on the on the Ixalan card for Kellen, we see the creature type fairy, which surprised me. I wouldn't have expected Oko to be a fairy, and his mom clearly wasn't. So, I think Oko is a, just a different kind of fairy than they have on on Eldrain. I don't know. He's still like a fey creature. I, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean that we'll that's pretty that. much it for the story here. Uh, let's jump into some dishonorable mentions. Of course, the enchanting fails. We did a whole episode on those. If you haven't heard that, do check that out, uh, where we talk through more in the context of the actual limited sphere, uh, how the enchanting tales cards hit or missed. Um, overall, I think the anime ones probably everybody's least favorite. I haven't really heard too much chatter of folks really liking the anime ones, and I'm sure there are people who do. If you're one of them, I'm sorry, but not my thing. I wasn't a big fan. Um, and they just kind of missed overall in terms of the structure of limited in this format, some great constructed, uh, reprints. So, you know, no complaints there. Um, but they didn't really, and they were all enchantments. So I guess they play into the story that way, but yeah, overall, not my favorite. Yep. Uh, I do think some of the anime art ones in particular, it's not often that I dislike magic art, especially special treatments. Usually they're fantastic. I mean, just think of the anime art ones we got for Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, right? Where they brought in, you know, professional manga artists to do some of the cards. And those looked awesome. Uh, I even got that version of The Wandering Emperors recently. Uh, these, I, I guess I prefer the more like 90s aesthetic anime, like the more cowboy bebop looking ones. Um, like berserk or, or that type of thing. Whereas some of these come across more as like modern cutesy schoolgirl. Uh, you're starting to get into the um, catering towards the people with lewd play mats type of demographic. And, and, and apologies if you're watching, but a little cringe, you know, <laughs> not our thing. Yeah. There are some other actual cards in the set that kind of missed as well. Glass casket being one of them, um, a card that historically has been quite good. 
Now, I have big flavor issues with Glass Casket. What is going on here? So I get what they're trying to do. It's like a Sleeping Beauty thing with Neva, where she is in, encased in this glass. Now, the flavor text on this. When, while Neva's mind wandered the realm of dreams, her body lay protected as mages worked frantically to find a cure for the wicked slumber. Neva does not show up in the story at all. And yet she's this named character who's somehow traversing this nightmare land, maybe created by Ashiok, maybe populated by Ashiok's creations. We have no idea. Uh, who, who is Neva? Why is she important? Why is she encased in a glass casket? Is it to prevent the, the curse from spreading? I mean, that clearly didn't work. You can see it le like leaking out the sides. I, I feel like this is a, a massive well of untapped potential. And I do like that there were multiple cards that referred to Neva. We'll talk a little bit more about that later with a successful example. But this is one we're entirely missed. Like, I'd love to know more about her. I mean, it's beautiful artwork. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, this is where we would normally see, like, side stories released to kind of give us more on the ancillary characters this set that mm -hmm. just didn't do that. So maybe that was something that got axed last minute or something. It's, it's something we've come to get comfortable with them doing. So a little bit surprising there. We also needed that for Lord Skidder Sewer King, another one of our dishonorable mentions. Where is the Lord Skidder novel? Like I, I, I want <laughs> to know everything about this guy. He's a rat King. And you're telling me they, they, this guy didn't show up in the main story at all. I don't know. I don't think we've seen the last of Lord Skidder. Rats are popular and a funny sub theme. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if the next time we go to Eldraine, we see Lord Skidder show back up again, hopefully in a new and mythic and even more ridiculous iteration. Because, I mean, this card's good. It's seeing standard play in, uh, in Esper midrange. Finally, we have Rotisserie Elemental. For such an evocative name and evocative art and evocative mechanic, even skewer counters, this one, it's just, it's missing something. And that's the fact that there's not a single mention of food on this card. It's a skewer. Yeah. It, it's a rotisserie elemental. That is so cool and fun and funny. Food is a major theme in this set. That's a roast goose or a roast duck or something in the art. Why does this not have to do with cooking food in some way? This should have been like a red burn food type thing. It should have dealt damage equal to food or exiled equal to food I, or created food. I, I don't know something went wrong here would it have been too broken if like your it it made just statically made like your your food no longer gain you life but they ding your opponent or something instead well the card food fight did do that but it just wasn't yeah, a very good limited <laughs> yeah i tried it in limited in, in in one game and i i sacked exactly one food to deal two damage and it just wasn't the way it was templated, it paired better in multiples, and I'm not sure if they were trying to plant like a food fight deck into standard. I think they probably should have built it a little more towards limited and commander play. And it's rare that I say something should have been built more towards commander play, but food fight, like, I think should have. Yeah, no, I was just thinking, like, if this said all food lose all abilities and gain the ability, you know, whatever, pay, what is it, one tap, pay two tap, and your opponent takes two life, any any target takes two life or something. Yeah. When it loses two life. Sort of like the uh, cursed apple, the uncommon. Yeah. Well, let's get into our actual picks, our, our favorite flavor things from this set. I want to start off with virtue of persistence, specifically the alternate art, the special Eldraine border. This one uh, is, is one of my favorite arts from the set. This is by Alan Williams. This is awesome. I mean, this looks like something out of the most horrifying storybook I've ever seen. I like the eeriness to it. The, the off-center design of the knight that kind of frames the painting in a, in a cool way. This is the sort of thing you would see just in an art museum and be like, wow, they were really going for something unique and cool there. And I, I love all these alternate arts. Even while some can be misses, you'll never find me complaining about, you know, extra additional artist opportunities and uh, frames and borders and doing things in cool new ways, especially tied to certain planes. This card looks awesome. So my first pick is actually Ash Party Crasher, probably because this isn't the type of card that I would normally get too excited about. Um, 
but I just kind of liked the flavor and the way that the flavor they used for red white in this set actually made sense and worked thematically, but then also gameplay wise, like it, it kind of just all worked together pretty nicely. And, um, yeah, I think, and, and it was great. So <laughs> like mm. in terms of actually putting up numbers, it was also quite good. So I actually want to jump ahead. One of my later ones was Ash, but while we're on the topic, Ash was one of these characters that sort of had a little mini story within the gameplay. Uh, and this is where the side stories I think could have come in handy. They did this with a bunch of them. Uh, Troy and Ash, Neva, the others, Ruby showed up some that are named and, and have, you know, in the story and have little like Troy and shows up for a minute. Some that we never find out anything else about again. And I'm very curious about Ash's story because here's how it seems to go. Uh, Stroke of Midnight seems to feature Ash as well, uh, where it says the assembled party goes, fell silent and stared as the helmet came to a clattering stop. The only sound was Ash's distant footsteps. So something about Ash <clears throat> had to run at midnight, kind of a fun trope for uh, instead of like a, I don't know, a damsel, a princess who had to become ugly again at midnight and maybe a little antiquated. I like this a lot more. Someone who's thrown a rager, someone who's having a blast at the party and then has to run. But we don't really know why. Um, I mean, it's this trope of leaving something behind at the stroke of midnight, but we don't totally see why. We do see a couple of things here. We see bespoke battle garb. This is clearly Ash's outfit, right? I mean, we see the, the kind of pleated armor and the cool red and white pattern that's repeated on other cards with Ash featured. And we see it in cut in as well where Ash has clearly jumped in front of another partygoer, has a sword drawn, a, a flaming sword at that. But we don't really know the context of any of these. The only other thing we know is that there was that dragon guy, um, featured also on Expel the Interlopers, Godric, cloaked reveler, the human who seems to be a dragon in disguise. Maybe they're at the same party. Maybe the party is interrupted by godric uh, we never really find out what ash was responding to i guess this is a little bit of a dishonorable mention at the same time but i do like that they kind of wove these story beats into the actual gameplay cards uh i think that was a really cool choice and i just would have liked to see a little more so next up for me is the huntsman's redemption I'm just thrilled they gave us one nod to Garrick in this set. Like <laughs> he lived. I wanted the, I wanted a lot more. I I actually I kind of hope now, after having coming back come back to Eldraine and seeing basically all we get is this card with no other explanation as to what's going on with, with Garrick. Um, I kind of hope it's just an internal joke that they're just never gonna tell us. Like they're not <laughs> ever gonna bring him back into the story and they're just gonna tease these little hints and pieces and uh, little little tidbits here That'd and be there a good bit yeah. he's alive and he's stuck somewhere in the multiverse oh we're never gonna tell you yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's just like oh man like, that's um, so funny he's like uh uh nick fury just like lounging on a beach you know like yeah. he's just off in space doing his own thing and that nobody knows that's I'm just hoping that Garrick's off like sipping a Mai Tai somewhere and he's just like, that's so got rid funny. Of the chain yeah. mail, we're good. And uh, yeah, he's just stuck somewhere. And I really just kind of hope at this point, Watsy never tells us what happened. Like, <laughs> they just keep teasing it, but never actually get there. It'd be, it'd be cool if they bring him back in like six years, once we've all kind of forgotten. And then can you imagine the hype of revealing like in spoiler season that like, I don't know, an upcoming villain or even a hero or some some entity that was previously unknown. It's like, oh, it's Garrick. And he's on this random plane that you would never expect. Uh, and maybe he's a pacifist now or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just there's so much they could do with him. And I just kind of hope they don't do anything at all. And they just leave it sit. Yeah. My next card up is Shatter the Oath. This is one of my other art picks for this set. I've got a couple of these. Uh, another Dominic Mayer card, unsurprising. We've got Dominic Mayer cards every, every flavor town because this is just such a cool direction. This makes me feel something. This makes me think. I mean, look at that haunting face in the background. Like, th this card tells a story just by itself. Shatter the Oath. Like, it's a mono black card featuring a knight I mean, this could go any number of directions. It's so evocative, right? Uh, th this is a card that you could tell a full story around just from the vibe presented here. 
just really awesome stuff. Yeah. So my next one is uh, three bowls of porridge, but that's actually really just a representation of the way they handled food in this set. Um, there were so many hits. I know, Ben, you've yeah. got another one on your list, so I'm not going to mention that one here. But I mean, three bowls of porridge, devouring sugar maw, candy trail. Like there are just so yeah. many minstrosity. I mean, come on. The, <laughs> the puns were hilarious. And this three bowls of porridge is the one that I picked for this particular this conversation because it's a phenomenal top down design. I mean, the first option is too hot. It hurts. The second option <laughs> is too cold. Spell. It taps. And third Freezes. option is just right. You gain your life. Like yeah. it is, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and honestly, this doesn't surprise me that you picked this because all these are going in your food deck, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there are a lot of them making it in for sure. Yeah. I mean, this was between this and the Lord of the Rings set. We're probably not getting a lot of food cards for a while. So uh, <laughs> soak it in while you can. All right. I've got one more art one to shout out, and that's the end. A funny magic card to be named the end. It makes sense that it would be on Eldraine. Where else could you pull this off? Uh, this was the, uh, the the rare instant removal spell, the exile one. And flavorfully, I like that this one, it has a finality clause to it where it costs two less to cast if your life total is five or less. So if you're getting close to the end, you get to the end one of their things. And again, a very creative direction with this card uh, in the artwork that, you know, it, it's obvious that this is a very different type of creative direction than, say, Shadow of the Oath or Virtue of Persistence. Uh, this one, funny that I, I actually picked three black removal spells. I didn't even realize that. These are all obviously awesome cards and limited. Uh, Shadow of the Oath, a little less so. Virtue being the best, the end next, and then Shatter a good ways after that. Uh, the end, kind of providing super finality. You can guarantee if you exile a creature or planeswalker with this thing, you're never seeing that card again. It is the end for them. I also like what's going on here in the art, this sort of shattered stained glass. A little bit comedic. It almost implies that a someone kind of went flying out through the the horse shape. Was it a person that was riding a horse that flew out that way? I don't know how that's possible, but it kind of looks like the silhouette itself was was busted out. There's also that like creepy eye mount like face in the one piece of glass that's like right up front. Yeah. It's almost as if like the stained glass was the creature and was ripped from the rest of the stained glass portrait. I guess that's a flavorful exile, trapping them in the glass and then ripping the glass out from the story. So my next card is The Apprentice's Folly for a few reasons. Uh, one is I just kind of love the whole Fantasia vibe of red-blue this time around. I think they did a really good job with it and and like playing up with like Johan just being terrible at magic and messing everything up. But also, The Apprentice's Folly has some phenomenal art. I'm a big sucker for the orange and blue mm. theme, which we see in a lot of blue cards. Um, even, like, I think Ice Out in this set has that going on as well. Um, really love it, and I'm always a sucker for the symmetrical sort of art pieces as well, so this kind of has that going on, but it's not exactly symmetrical, which I like. And, uh, yeah, just a beautiful, beautiful art piece here. And a cool build on Unlimited, too. I mean, a really clever bargain payoff that i think a lot of people didn't realize was supposed to be bargain until later than people realized for other cards actually johan that was another one of the ones where it kind of told a story through multiple cards it was funny how like he would make a fire elemental to put out the water elemental but then he would need another water elemental to put out the fire elemental and that type of thing i wanted to shout out candy grapple which i think clearly has the best flavor text of the set <laughs> as well as some pretty great naming and and uh art the name and the art aside those those work by themselves but the joke of uh don't you mean poisonous there's no such thing as a venomous ah yeah that so is I mean, it's the sort of clever one-off one-liner that you're surprised hasn't already been used in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it has, but this is a really funny way to do it. Yeah, and it also has a double entendre of, like, the poisoned apple being a thing in fairy tale lore. Uh, yeah. And, like, yeah, it's just, oh, I love it. A poison apple? No, this is a venomous apple. Probably poisonous and venomous, the, the rare double whammy. Yeah, and then um, I'm kind of going to kind of lump the next two together for me. I did want to highlight a few of the enchanting tales that I think actually really worked in this format um, from a from a gameplay perspective, but then also, the, I mean, the art's pretty good too. Um, Hatching Plans and Utopia Sprawl. Mm. 
I don't think I drafted a blue deck in this format without playing hatching plans. Yeah. Uh, at least I drafted every hatching plans I think I saw. Uh, I got a lot of them. And so um, definitely a card that I was pleasantly surprised with. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was, uh, I think, on first pass. But then obviously bargain being as great as it was made it very easy to make hatching plans work. And then uh, Utopia Sprawl single-handedly turned on a lot of splashes and uh, multicolored decks. So that was really fun as well. Bit of a groan test, though, to see Utopia Sprawl come down on one on your opponent's side of the board. <laughs> yeah, for sure. My last one here is the Princess Takes Flight. This might be my favorite card in the set. Everything about it wrapped up into a ball. I mean, this it's not quite a white symmetrical card draw effect, but it certainly got people just as heated and uh, angry about it when looking at that third clause, return the exiled card to the battlefield under its owner's control. It's like, well, yeah, this doesn't actually do anything then. It like gives them a new ETB trigger. That's no good. But then it takes a little bit of thinking to go, wait a minute, how do I break the symmetry on this card? This card has like an internal symmetry to it where it appears to be net zero, maybe a little bit of positive from the 2-2 uh, the and flying buff, but that's not worth three mana by itself. Uh, and even that, plus like tapping down a creature, that might not be worth three mana to a sorcery speed. So then breaking the symmetry on this exile and then give it back by sacking this, bouncing it to hand, flickering this, doing some sort of clever thing with Princess Takes Flight, this was such a great build around because it, it worked well within the context of the set. It worked well with multiple vectors. And then sometimes it would just be correct to play in your red-white deck with very few bargain cards because if your deck was assertive enough, it worked in that vector as well. So Princess Takes Flight, I'm going to miss drafting this one more than I will most cards in the set. Basically all Princess Takes Flight is just chef kiss. Great design. And it evokes something too. I mean, this is a princess who went on a magical mystery ride on some sort of Pegasus-looking thing? Is it the one that has the horn? Which one has the horn? I forget. Unicorns don't have wings. Yeah. I guess Pegasi Pegasuses can be unicorns with wings as well. They typically don't have them. Someone who's like a, uh, an expert in this sort of thing, let us know in Discord. Uh, please like, comment, and subscribe if a uh, Pegasus <sighs> has a horn. <laughs> Well, that does, it has been a bit. That does do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Uh, we appreciate that too. Do check out the Discord. As I said earlier in the show, we are doing some big things over there and we are really excited about all of them. So uh, we'd love to have you there. Jump in and say hi. And uh, if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft Again, that will be paused until next week. But if you're listening to this episode in the future, then it's, it should be live. So go check it out. Um, we've got a bunch of new tiers and perks and things like that that we are very excited about. And you can find us on social media on Twitter at DraftChaffPod and you uh, slash DraftChaffPod on Reddit as well. So we also do have our own subreddit. There aren't really posts there and there should be a bot now handling uploading posts for the new episodes. Um, but we do have a Discord now. So all right, I'm uh, a Reddit, a Reddit subreddit now. So Check that out if you're interested in subreddits, but the Discord is where everything is happening in terms of draft chaff, uh, aficionado conversations. So thanks, folks. We'll catch you next week. Okay, one thing before we go. We got a pretty big announcement this week, and that's that Marvel is pairing up with Magic. Yes, indeed. Thoughts? Um, I don't really care. Like, it's fine. <laughs> It's not bad. It's not good for me. Like it's going to bring a bunch of people to magic. So I guess it's good in that regard. Um, I have like generally been big fans of certain Marvel characters. So I'll be curious to see how they handle that. It sounds like they're staying away from the MCU and sticking more toward comic, at least uh comic based um, inspiration. I don't know if they're going to exactly adopt comics, which version of the Marvel storylines and timelines, which multiverse they're going to use. All yeah. those different things up in the air. Um, but cool, I guess. Like, yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I feel most of the same way. I did have maybe two thoughts to either side. In the, in the pro side, this is great for bringing in new people. I mean, for a game the size of Magic, 
to be able to reach untapped people that might potentially want to play. If this brings people to play Magic who hadn't already, which it will, that's net positive. So great. Uh, the one thing in the other direction is that I have a particular distaste, and this is me personally. I, I can't say that this should be the general rule or anyone else should agree, but I have a particular distaste for uh, packaged nostalgia uh, or something wherein my my childhood and things that I used to enjoy for no no reason more than they were cool are repackaged to me with no real thought or depth or uh, recontextualization that would make me care about them in a new way. It's sort of like um like you know that jingly keys meme where it's like ten hours of jingly keys and sometimes that's all people want sometimes in a lot of the recent Marvel movies too. It just feels like two and a half hours of jingly keys. Oh, I recognize that character. Oh, I know who that is. Oh, that person was in this movie um, without really trying to say something or, or convey an idea uh, or make me think about myself or the world around me. And that type of thing bothers me. Uh, it, I see it as a turnoff to certain things or movies. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying that's what I hope this avoids. I hope that this manages to uh, be a set that does it in a way that doesn't make people feel that way because i know i'm not alone in this i think we've kind of gotten superhero fatigued a good amount in the past couple of years so time will tell right i have a full trust in the people that design magic cards i don't have any trust in the corporations that control the people that design magic cards so i guess we'll see what happens yeah i mean it's interesting i don't feel this is from an outside perspective looking in. I don't feel that you had that, uh, that response to Lord of the Rings. Like it seemed like that was the set you really enjoyed. So, yeah, for sure. And, and you mentioned recently that doc, the doctor who stuff that they did was on point. So yep, they're two I, for got two. a good track record so far, I think. Uh, and I don't know anything about the fallout stuff. I don't know fallout, but Me I either. saw some people online being pretty happy about that too. So um, sounds like whoever's running the universes beyond partnerships is doing a good job. Time will tell. <laughs> 